and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. Today, our guest is Michael Riley, who is a composer, musician, and teacher who uses the principles of sound therapy and deep listening in his work. He studied with Pauline Oliveros through uh, the deep listening program. And his goal is really to help people slow down, unplug and connect to themselves and the world around them through listening. So we talk about um, his background, his progression as a musician and composer, how he got into uh, meditation and deep listening practices and really how it shifted his approach as a musician and composer. And now as a teacher of deep listening and other, other practices. And it was so wonderful to talk to him about uh, his background, soundscapes, field recordings, some really interesting work that he's done uh, with sonic ecology as well. This podcast is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa located in Sarasota, Florida, also on the web at theomshop.com. The Ohm Shop has the country's largest showroom of vibrational tools, crystal bowls, and so many um, amazing instruments, specialty and custom instruments. And they can really help you and assist you with um, deciding what you might need for your sound therapy practice. They also offer in-house sound meditations and online through uh, learning resources, blog, and they also host trainings and workshops as well. So thank you so much to the Ohm Shop and Spa for their sponsorship and support of this podcast. Please enjoy this episode with Michael Riley. Okay, welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me today for the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to be on your show, and thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Let's. Um, I know you really do have a background as a musician and composer uh, first, so let's go back and talk about how music entered your life and kind of those early influences that really got you going, uh, composing and performing. Sure. Yeah, I had a kind of a circuitous path through uh, like the DIY um, indie scene in Philadelphia, where I'm from originally. So uh, I took piano lessons at an early age, but it was kind of quick. I think I was seven or eight years old and kind of let them go and slowly got back into music in my teens. And so by the time I was in college, I was playing in a variety of uh, rock bands and uh, kind of gravitated towards electronic music. Um, I played in a in a band, a couple bands that did basically like live techno music with like drums and people <laughs> scratching on turntables. This is late '90s, early 2000s, <laughs> uh, and I was mostly playing synthesizers in those projects. And uh, I was always very interested in soundscapes and sound design. So I, I tried to. My role in these projects was often sort of creating texture and color in among the beats and samples. And sometimes we would have um, singers or people rapping, but yeah, I was always kind of drawn to that idea of the um, 
you know, the kind of like Brian Eno school of creating landscapes using sonic colors, almost like like a, like a painter would to to create soundscapes there. And as I continued to play in bands, I uh, just very organically, like not with any sort of intention or uh, any sort of direct, you know, goals. I started to collaborate more with filmmakers and choreographers in Philadelphia. Uh, at first, just doing like improvised music, uh, either solo or with small groups with dancers. And then that led to me writing more music formally for choreographers uh, for their pieces and for some filmmakers in around like the New York and Philly area. Um, so that's when I sort of grew into this idea of like, oh, I'm a composer because I was creating things that were being used. So I, you know, I, I didn't go to school for composition. I'm not a formally trained composer. It's just, uh, it's very much a organic sort of evolving process for me, this idea of of being a composer. And uh, it's often just an improvisation that happens and somehow a frame forms around and I say, oh, okay, that's a piece of music. But it, to me, it still very much feels like sort of a co-creation process, not that I'm creating something. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned soundscapes. And of course there's all this um, amazing work with soundscapes, sonic ecology, uh, mm -hmm. sound walks. And I know that um, you did actually study with Pauline Oliveros, uh, the deep mm -hmm. listening work, um, and I'm sure have, have looked into Armory Schaefer's work with acoustic ecology. So how did that kind of draw you in to the, the listening, uh, the aspects of deep listening? Yeah, so sort of in a parallel path, but at the same timeline that I was exploring these different avenues of create, creation musically, I had a meditation practice that started around 2001, somewhere around that, that area. But I never really considered music and meditation to be in the same realm. It was like I had my meditation people, friends I would see on retreats, talk about with books, and I had like the music friends over here. Then in 2007, a friend of mine who's, who was actually a dancer and choreographer in these groups that I was working in uh, recommended that I apply for a residency with a composer named Pauline Oliveros. And to be honest, at the time, I had never heard of Pauline, uh, but she said, oh, you know, you're into meditation, you're into music. I think you would really, really love Pauline. And it was an opportunity that Pauline came to Philadelphia and worked with about 10 musicians and composers for a six month period. So yeah, I was part of a group of about, of these 10, it was, uh, I think it was like nine, nine guys, one woman, I remember, and kind of like a lot of like young sort of machismo, like jazz and electronic and noise, you know, noise musicians. And we met with Pauline that first day. And I didn't, again, I didn't really know what to expect. I got accepted to, to be a part of this group. And I, uh, I think I maybe like did a little research online. I, I saw she was connected to sort of like the John Cage idea, the sort of philosophical ideas of listening and, and sound and uh, awareness and meditation. But the day that I met Pauline and she worked with this group, it was really a sort of transformational, pivotal time for me. Just, uh, you know, she explained deep listening to our group, uh, but we didn't really, it didn't really click with me at least. I was like, okay, I, you know, this sounds cool. Uh, 
uh, and then she, I think she could tell that we, that we as a group weren't, weren't uh, resonating with what she was trying to explain to us. So she's like, okay, let's do a score together. So we did this score called the tuning meditation, which uh, to describe it briefly, it's basically as a, a group, uh, um, you sing a pitch, you sing uh, a pitch to match other people. And then on the next exhale, you sing a new pitch while you're walking around in the space. And as with many of her sonic meditations, it's a very simple score on paper, but the uh, emergent results from performing this were really profound for me. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this is deep listening. <laughs> and uh, we, so that, that day was really beautiful. And then we did, I think about once a month for the next six months, she would come down to Philadelphia from upstate New York and we would just do deep listening practices and improvise together the, the 10 musicians. Uh, There's certain people in there who wrote scores specifically for the group. And that culminated in a performance at the Annenberg Center in Philadelphia in, uh, in 2007. And it took me a little while actually to kind of see deep listening as this bridge between my meditation and music practice. Uh, you know, I had her, her book, uh, Deep Listening, a Composer Sound Practice, and I would read it from time to time. It would catch my eye on the bookshelf and I would pull it down. I'd be like, oh yeah, deep listening. Uh, and yeah, it was kind of like these two slowly moving icebergs that finally came together about, about five years later. And I was like, okay, deep listening is, is, is this thing that can kind of connect these two energies for me, this, this meditation and music improvisation creative field. And so in 2016, I officially went into the uh, deep listening training intensive, which was a, a year long study with Pauline Oliveros, uh, Ione and Eloise Gold, who were the, basically the three founding members of the practice of deep listening. And it was primarily an online course. Uh, we did one, I was able to attend one in-person meeting, uh, this deep listening symposium that was held at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute up in Troy, New York. And Pauline was there. Many of the, many of the people who had been involved in deep listening over the decades were all there. It was a really, really beautiful day. And uh, it turned out to be the last time I got to see Pauline in person because she passed away in November of 2016, right at the end of that uh, intensive that we were doing. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and define deep listening, you know, as a, a person that practices it now and a, and a teacher, what, how would you define deep listening and the practice of deep listening? Well, I'll say that when Pauline was asked this question, especially towards the end of her life, she would always answer, I don't know. <laughs> so in honor of that answer, I'll first say, I don't know. It's a very Zen answer because there's this idea that uh, to define deep listening is to sort of, to put it into a box, whereas it's, it's a super expansive practice, I'll say. And the main components of it are listening and sound, the body. So listening with the body and the sort of energetic systems that are connected with the body. And also the imaginal space of dream dreaming. So how do we listen in dreams? How does our consciousness sort of complete the puzzle of what we're hearing in everyday life? And that's primarily the work of Ione, her uh, Pauline's partner. And uh, she's a, a wonderful, wonderful creative person, a poet, a, 
um, she creates uh, plays and uh, writer, and she she sort of defined this listening and dream space. And so these three avenues are these modalities, as they're called, are sort of interwoven with one another. And in terms of listening, what's often a good place to start is the, the idea of what's the difference between hearing and listening. And so in deep listening, there's this, uh, there's explorations of these different spectrums of, or spectra, I should say, the plural of spectrum of, of awareness. So that the, the, the uh, exploration of the continuum between hearing and listening, between awareness and attention, between sound and silence, uh, between inner and outer soundscapes, um, past, present, future, multi-dimensional listening. So it's this really beautiful, almost three three-dimensional space of exploration of just how can sound be a transformative aspect in our life? How can bringing attention and awareness to the present moment engage us in a more interpersonal level? So there's elements of uh, creativity and music. There's elements of sonic ecology, which you mentioned earlier. So like field recording, listening to our to to nature, you know, feeling that connection as part of nature. What that means. Uh, there's there can be inter, interpersonal and transformative work uh, in terms of our our ability to have compassion, our our abilities to heal. Um, so yeah, it's a big, it's a big complicated. I'm, I'm happy to go uh, into more detail about any of those aspects, but that's sort of the, the big atlas of the multidimensional atlas of, of what deep listening is. Yeah, well, we can approach it from, you know, some different aspects, I guess, uh, through meditation and deep listening, which obviously there's a lot of connections with, with the two of those. How you know if you can find the words to express how did it change your music and composition? What did you find shifted within you that then shifted what you were presenting as a musician? I think one of the big shifts, and this this comes directly from Pauline and her work, is that I was I would say I entered into this paradigm where you have the composer, the person that creates the music you have the message that the composer is attempting to convey, and you have the audience, the listener, who is supposed to just kind of receive what the, what the composer has created, and they either connect with it or they don't. Uh, through deep listening, I really began to found that that hierarchy can become flattened. And so, the way the intention that I bring, the way that my listening consciousness can can illuminate the experience is just as important as the composer, the person who's created that sound. And that can be in a composed piece of music, that can be in an improvisation between musicians, or that can be listening to an environment. So it's, you know, gets to this, uh, the Zen koan, if a tree falls in the forest and there's uh, no one there, does it, does it make a sound? This idea that our a presence and our awareness completes this puzzle, completes this tapestry of connection that happens. So it's it becomes a really empowering act to listen, you know, to to have that that miracle of awareness, that miracle of attention, to experience the to the totality of 
a sonic experience that uh, has the potential to expand, expand beyond just sound and listening, but it becomes a sort of multi-sensorial way of approaching the world that becomes very, uh, very engaged, very activating, very alive. And we'll talk more about some of your projects in a little bit. You know, um, with this this podcast being really focused on sound therapy and sound mm -hmm. healing, listening is a huge part of that. And we understand that both sound therapy and listening are actually ancient practices. You know, they're they're yeah. not this new buzzword, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, I'm curious what your understanding is of the origins of some of these practices, but also why they're so important right now in the times that we're living in. Yeah, that's a great, a great point and a very important one that listening is a, one of the most ancient practices we have. And there's so much wisdom in indigenous cultures and uh, practices of listening because it's a, uh, it's 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 a it's an act of connection. It's an act of 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 oneness. And as a society, I think we've become very visually oriented. Uh, you know, through screens uh, and also evolutionarily, we've we've developed this really primacy of seeing the visual field. Uh, whereas listening, because of because it's an invisible, it's something invisible that we're connecting to the sounds. Like you can never see sounds. It's this. Uh, this ephemeral, ever-changing, impermanent experience of our sonic world. And there's so much wisdom in that, you know, connecting to Buddhism, for example, this idea of impermanence, of not-self, of, uh, of emptiness, which, you know, shunyata in Mahayana Buddhism, this idea of the emptiness and silence that's uh, a gateway to the interconnected interconnectedness of everything. And so there's so many traditions that uh, deep listening has has come from, and for sure, the idea of sound healing is one of them. Um, you know, listening in of itself can be healing. It can be a, a softening. It can be a a, a uh, almost like a de. I want to say calcification, a de hardening of the rigidity that comes from the thinking mind that comes from categorization, that comes from hierarchical thinking, that the merging can happen where the listener, the sonic event itself and what is being listened to start to become one. And it's another one of these sort of continuums where the separation between listener sound and what is being sound uh, sort of melt. So that in itself can be a healing, a healing practice. Um, and when I was giving my little intro bio, yeah, I, I sort of stopped at deep listening, but that has, that has also uh, organically grown into this field of sound healing, which therapeutic music is a big part of what I create. And it's sort of uh, a shift that I've had in, in the last few years uh, towards playing music uh, in a program called the Music for Healing and Transition Program. And it's just, yeah, it's just a really lovely for me connection between the meditation work, deep listening, and now sound therapy. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, kind of merging of mm -hmm. all your, your interests and, and practices. 
and you know with I wonder if you can um, maybe recommend a practice and kind of bringing us into deep li listening in our present time. We, and especially the past couple of years with us really relying on technology more and more so being on Zoom meetings all the time. Yeah. You know, how can we counteract um, kind of what our devices are doing to us? I mean, what are our devices doing to our brains? Mm -hmm. And how can we perhaps counteract that with some of these practices you're you're mentioning? Yeah, so actually, I just released a course called uh, the Acousmatic Therapy Course, which deals with this. It's a way to it, it's a six module course of uh, audio only, so there's no video involved, and it's it's basically a way that you can learn to change our relationship with our phones, with our screens, and as a way to sort of counteract, especially over the last two and a half years with the pandemic of uh, the, these uh, constant Zoom meetings, which, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for Zoom. It's a way, <laughs> way you and I are connecting today. And I've met and, and had a lot of beautiful relationships with people that I've met over the last two years on Zoom. But it's true that it's, uh, it's, it's getting to the point where it's, it's starting to have detrimental effects. So something from the course that I can offer that's a really simple practice is to uh, the, the liminal space when we first wake up in the morning. So with the pandemic, a lot of people who maybe had uh, alarm clocks where they had to get ready and get, get started and get on their way to, to work or school, uh, Maybe there's there's more there's more space in that waking up period. There's not as strict a time to wake up. Obviously, it's not true for everyone. So if this can't apply to you and you have a very strict time that you need to wake up and you're not a morning person, but I love that morning that morning time. You know, it can only it can be, even if it's just a minute or two minutes of just feeling that dissolving of the dream self. You know, that time when the dreams are that we've just been having are maybe vivid in our body in our body and mind. And just listening in the morning, especially in these like spring and summertime, if if we're uh, privileged enough to live in an environment with with birds and uh, the the morning calls of nature, it's a wonderful time to just listen before we get out of bed, before we check our phone, before we even put our feet on the ground to just sort of close our eyes and feel that expansion of that connection of listening. Um, if you live in a city, this can be done too. You know, um, it, 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 there's a, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's all sound, you know, and of course there's therapeutic benefits probably to more natural sounds as opposed to buses and cars and things that we have in a city, but the act of, of opening oneself to listening in those first moments in the morning, I think can be a great way to sort of center and to begin a practice of listening and mi mindfulness of listening uh, that can perhaps grow. And then you maybe will find throughout the day, there'll be more, more moments where instead of reaching for the phone as a distraction, you know, if we're waiting in line somewhere um, or uh, yeah, just any time that there's that compulsion to check the phone, to just listen, to just connect with the environment and say, what's happening here? And to bring a curiosity and a joy to listening, um, you know, I often, you know, give this uh, exercise to listen to our environment the way that we would listen to a new song that was just released by our favorite artist, you know, 
like I, I grew up in the era of, of albums being released in stores <laughs> and you would go buy the, the CD or the, the record and you didn't know what it would sound like. I remember this very vividly with uh, the Radiohead album Kid A in 2000. Uh, I was super excited because I, I read some articles that it was this new direction and they were getting into electronica and it was, you know, I loved OK Computer. So I, I just remember going home and the intensity and the joy and the curiosity I brought to that first listening of the album. Um, so to embody that feeling of, of connection, that, that excitement, that joy of listening in our everyday experience can be so lovely. And to just notice something in, in our environment that we didn't notice before. You know, right, and it, it can really help shift your your focus. I often rec recommend to people that have a hard time meditating because they mm -hmm. think they just need to clear their thoughts and be empty. Just focus on the sounds, you know, and yeah. let that be your your point of focus. And and um, yeah, what you mentioned about you know being in nature versus being in the city at the beginning of the pandemic when things were really locked down. I remember seeing articles about how more natural sounds were coming into the cities, like New York in particular, I think a lot of um, sonic, uh, well, field recordings came out of how the sounds of the, the city really shifted as things shut down. Um, so yeah, I'm curious about your field recording work and let's talk about any of your um, previous projects that you found really cool um or really interesting i remember on your website there was one called eco zoo um mm -hmm. and you know there's a few other things so mm -hmm. maybe talk a little bit more about some of that field work uh, that you really enjoy sure yeah that came about maybe well the, the idea of using field recordings as material for creating music that really started to come up about about seven years ago because uh, i became a nomad so i around uh, 2015, 2016, I began to uh, um, left my, my home in Philadelphia and just started living in artist residencies in different places around the world. So I was hearing all these new sounds for me, which is really exciting. And I, I, so I decided to start recording these environments and using them as a material for creating work. And that was my primary way almost like my main instrument, my main muse for creating sound. So I would uh, take recordings and use them as material. I called it sonic photography. So this idea of taking audio snapshots of an environment, but then using sort of darkroom techniques like Ansel Adams and uh, collaging uh, Rauschenberg, people who would take the material of photo and play with it in the dark room and, and on the on the canvas. So I was doing a lot of that. And this was, again, informed by deep listening, because this was uh, an exploration I had at the time. So bringing to the field recordings a sense of what was happening in, uh, on the interior when while I was listening. So it would create maybe subtle effects like echo, reverb, um, resonant frequencies of, of sound above and below. And so this resulted in a couple of albums that I produced that a series that I called um, Memories of Earth. <laughs> so, cause I, you know, as I started doing more of this field recording and deep listening, I started to become aware of R. Mary Schaefer and 
um, Bernie Krauss, who, who does a lot of field recording of sonic environments showing that we're witnessing the, the changing of, of our environments. And even if maybe visually it doesn't change it that drastically, often there's signatures in the density of insects and birds and other, other animals that let us know there's a really uh, traumatic, really drastic change happening. So this, you know, this idea of memories of earth was maybe a double, double meaning of my memories of exploring the earth, but also sort of snapshots of a, of a unfortunately rapidly changing environment. And I think out of this grew this idea of the project Echo Zoo, which you mentioned. So this was a project that I worked on at a, several artist residencies, and it was basically a recreation, an imaginal recreation of the sounds and soundscapes of animals that have gone extinct during the human era. And um, I worked on it for about five years or so, this project. And uh, it, it involved field recordings in that I would record environments um, like let's say elephants in, in Thailand. <laughs> and I would take those elephant calls and see how could I manipulate them using, uh, using software and different techniques on the computer to create a woolly mammoth. So I would take sort of the living relatives of these extinct creatures and create these imaginary soundscapes. And it was done in a way that let's say an artist would create a painting of a dodo bird. So there wasn't uh, as much, there wasn't a lot of scientific rigor in like, you know, analyzing the skull structure and the vo potential vocal cords and things like that to make a super scientifically accurate. But again, it was this blurring of the internal and the outer soundscape. So it became both the calls of the animals, the imagined environments that they were in, but also how these creatures perceived sound was part of it. So especially when it was like a, uh, an insect or a fish, something like that, I started to get into the idea of like, okay, well, how does a fish perceive sound? What does, you know, uh, uh, a herring that's gone extinct in Germany, what does the Rhine River sound like to that fish? So it was, uh, yeah, sort of experimental, sort of as a, uh, playful as I could make it, but in the end, it was a super, it was a super heavy project for me. Uh, these five years sort of really getting into the, yeah, you know, the, the sense of loss, the sense of these, uh, what I call nodes of consciousness. So uh, a bear that's gone extinct, let's say, had a very unique way of perceiving the world. So not only do we lose that species, um, that way of perceiving the world has gone, that, that sort of very specific color of consciousness has left the world. So in the end, it became a, a, a very heavy project for me. I, I published it in 2000, um, and it's, you can find it at echozoo.org. You can listen to the six, 66 creatures I made. Um, I'm often obsessed with numbers and numerology, but I just, I picked that because of the sixth extinction. So um, it's animals from six different continents, um, uh, yeah, about 11 from, from six different continents. And uh, yeah, it goes all the way. I think one of the oldest ones is the woolly mammoth, which went extinct. Uh, it's sort of when humans were in the ice age, uh, but all the way up to like 
the the golden toad, which is a, a toad that went extinct in Costa Rica. Um, none of the creatures I did really had any recordings of the creatures. There was one bird, I think it's called the Ma Mahon. I forget the name of it, but it's a, it's a bird from Hawaii. And um, that's the only one I used an actual recording of the bird. And this is a, you know, this is one of these really poignant stories that this, this bird uh, was rapidly going extinct and they found one of the birds and, and brought them to the, to the uh, bird conservatory and found out this was actually the last bird of this species. And this bird was singing this mating song just looking for another member, one of its species. And there's a recording of this. So that found its way into, to Echo Zoo. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a heavy project, but um, just the, yeah, just this ex idea of listening, you know, this idea of, of listening through the ages and what, and to maybe bring some attention and awareness and care to our current soundscapes and, and to really appreciate what we have here and how rapidly it's changing as we uh, experience this sixth extinction. Wow, just a fascinating project to take on. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the, the course that you've, I, th I think you said you just released uh, that really mm -hmm. helps um, us kind of counteract some of our experiences with, with technology uh, through listening. Um, but I'm curious, you know, it seems like you have multiple projects going on all the time. <laughs> you know, what else do you have uh, ongoing right now or, or coming up that you're really excited about or, or things you're curious about that are really drawing you in right now? Yeah, so a lot of my time is spent with teaching. So that's um, through the Center for Deep Listening. So I usually teach about three, three intensives a year. Um, I do one-off workshops. So I have a project with my partner, Monica, that's, uh, she's a dancer choreographer and we have a project called Listening Bodies. Uh, that we've, it was mostly before the pandemic, we were teaching around the world and it was this idea of deep listening mixed with somatics. Um, so I do the, you know, those kind of projects, I'll be teaching a workshop in um, Northern Italy at the end of July uh, at a music festival called Next Tones Festival. And uh, you can, if, if you're hearing this before the end of July and happen to be in that Switzerland, Northern Italy area, you want to check it out. I'll be there. Uh, I've been working with a group called Wave Paths, which is, um, they create music for and as psychedelic experiences. Um, so I just started working with them this year and I created some music and soundscapes for their project, which is basically a, an, an interactive system that therapists who are working with psychedelic drugs with their patients for, you know, PTSD and trauma and depression, things like that. Um, they can basically use this interface to create real-time music. So um, I've been creating a little bit of music for, for that project. Um, and then I'm also working with this group, Science and Non-Duality, which has been really exciting. Uh, I've started sort of helping just on the technical side with them, like helping with their website and things like that. But that's morphing into um, some editing of articles and creation of articles and uh, working on a podcast with them. So that uh, is a really interesting bridge for me, this idea of science and spirituality, which is kind of interwoven in, into a lot of what I do. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the main projects I'm working on. I, I do a, a weekly meditation group called Sound Sangha, which is uh, this 
basically exploration of mindfulness of listening. And that's where the course grew out of. So I've, I've done this every Friday, a group of us get together and we explore a topic, do a period of listening meditation and have a discussion. And uh, this acousmatic therapy course sort of grew out of that work um, to, to kind of create a really specific uh, six-step program for, for um, developing ease, developing a better sleep habits around, uh, yeah, develop better sleep, sort of listening with the full body, developing uh, awareness. So kind of taking back our attention and awareness with which the screens and social media companies have <laughs> taken from us. Uh, connection. So there's a module that involves sound walking. And I know you had Hildegard Westerkamp on your show. That was a really beautiful interview. So uh, to hear about the sort of origins of sound walking. And then the final module is about silence. So just developing a, a healthy relationship with being okay with silence and space in our lives. Uh, so I just released that in May. So I'm sort of like still promoting that and, and helping people who are taking the course right now, answering questions and uh, staying connected with that. Now, are the, the sound sangha in the course, are those things that people can join in any time or do mm -hmm. you kind of roll them out every several months? Um, sound sangha is open. Yeah, it's it, people, you can drop in any Friday. Um, there's a link to register on my site and send out the zoom and uh, we meet fridays at 12 o'clock noon uh, and acousmatic therapy is also the course is also self-guided so you can basically download that um, you can download the mp3s or you stream it through your device or your laptop and uh, yeah it can it can take anywhere from the suggestion is six weeks so to kind of do a one module a week or it can take six months or a year, you know, you kind of go at your own pace and, and see how long you need to stay in each module. Maybe, you know, you really need to work on improving uh, screen time around sleep. So you stay with that. Um, with the course too, I didn't mention it has, it does have sound therapy in there too. So it's like, there's basically a, uh, a dis discussion of the module. There's a guided meditation and then there's a, a sound therapy section that's usually ambient music, uh, something like the, the sleep ones to help you sleep. The cellular one uses certain frequencies that are said to help promote uh, listening with the full body, um, tuned to 528 hertz, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure you're, you're hip to all that, <laughs> all those uh, alter, alternative tunings and, and ideas of frequencies. Um, yeah, so anyway, there's there's a lot in there. It's I think it's about 10 hours of audio material in the course that's all, like I said, self-guided. So there's no structure or strict schedule to it. And how about, you know, your sound meditations or, or some of your music? How, is that on your website as well yeah. or Spotify? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, how, how is your music released usually? Yeah, um, most of what I produce is on Spotify. Um, it's also on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. Um, I release things on, on Bandcamp, um, on a few labels. I did an album for this, this uh, Healing Sound Propagandist label last year. I did an album for uh, an Italian label called Pregnant Void, which was, uh, I created a suite of music that was based on the uh, 
the ratios and measurements of the nine planets. So it's basically these uh, frequency exploration soundscapes based on on the uh, numerology and the the ratios of the planets. So it's a, you know extension of the uh, the Hulst idea or the the harmony of the spheres. And that was on Pregnant Void. And I did another album for uh, Sacred Sea Records that, with an artist named Wild Anima, a French artist, early last year. So sometimes I re self-release on Bandcamp. Sometimes it's through a label. Uh, most of the, my music these days, I'm kind of channeling. I, through, through Sound Song, I have a Patreon. So I generally, my schedule is like on Monday, I release some sort of either therapeutic field recording sound healing ambient music on monday for the for the patreon feed and then friday we do the the class and i re record that and post that on patreon too for supporters who can't be there live great yeah that's excellent yeah well it's really beautiful how uh you know all your interests kind of merged into what you're doing now that this path it's it seems like it's really um everything's aligned for you as far as, um, you know, the, the meditative spiritual practices and your music and this deep listening. Um, as far as um, maybe research or, or studies, is there anything that you're really interested in new that you're, you're diving into just, just personally for a practice? Um, in terms of research, well, I'm always usually reading some sort of book about meditation, sound, or mindfulness. Right now I'm reading a book called Earth's Wild Music. Um, I'm blanking on the author's name, but it's this really beautiful essay about this idea of loss of soundscapes. Um, yeah, I can look it up if you want real quick, but um, people can also Google it. It's called Earth's Wild Music. Uh, and the idea of, of sound healing and therapeutic music, you know, I've, I was doing this course, Music for Healing and Transition program, which led me into a lot of areas that I sort of neglected and didn't research that much. You know, this idea of sort of specific frequencies for healing, um, modalities for how to play uh, for people in hospice or in at hospitals, I, I just finished what's called my practicum. So the, uh, the the practice I was back at home in Philadelphia earlier this year, finishing my um, 45 hours of playing in hospice. So it was a really powerful transformative uh, time for me playing for people at the end of life. And I, th I feel like that work is still sort of resonating with me. I'm still sort of experiencing the echoes the echoes of that work. Uh, so for me, it's, you know, I, I do like to read and research, but I'm also very experiential. You know, I think, I think maybe as my background, uh, as a DIY, do it, you know, do it yourself, indie sort of roll up your sleeves and just try it. <laughs> Musician. I'm very much into the sort of the, the experiential and I, I love to read. I love to, to, to find out what people are thinking and different theories and, new new modalities of of whether it's listening or sound or mindfulness but i'm also i like to just get out and try it <laughs> and do it yeah definitely with all these things that we're, we're talking about you know i always say experience is the best teacher right you can read about 
riding a bike, <laughs> but you have to get, get out and do it to actually, actually figure it out. Yeah. 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 Well, wonderful. Uh, any kind of last things um, you'd like to let us know about um, or things we should, um, you know, keep posted about with, with your work, any kind of uh, final uh, announcements or, or thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think I kind of announced or, you know, mentioned everything that I have going on now a little earlier. But uh, thank you for the opportunity to 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 do that to mention to mention what I what I have going on, uh, my web you know you'll have it in the show notes I'm sure but it's just soundoflistening.com so all the different projects I'm associated with things I'm offering are are all there. There's a lot of free music to listen to and connect with on the website and through the different services. So uh, yeah, but you know thank you so much for this opportunity. But thank you too for this for this podcast i'm a huge fan i listen to many of the episodes you you put out and it's just great to hear these in-depth conversations with a wide range of people from instrument instrument makers you know luminaries like heldiger westerkamp um yeah actually i'm i'm in italy too i didn't mention that but my partner's italian and we're slowly relocating there and i want to connect with the uh grotta sonora the the couple grotta you spoke sonora, with yeah yeah absolutely they're down by down near Rome, and I, that's I've, right. I looked up their their uh, their website from hearing it on your podcast. So I want to connect with their magnificent gongs and meet them someday. That's right, <laughs> absolutely, you should. Yeah, well, beautiful. Well, good luck with your you know the course coming up at the end of July and all the thank you the new things you're you're rolling out with your online stuff too. And um, yeah, it's just wonderful to hear how all your interests and, and passions and practices have aligned so i'll be definitely trying to keep up with what you have uh coming out and uh yeah keep following the path thank you you too yeah. be well thanks thanks thank natalie you. yep bye-bye bye thank you for tuning into this episode of sounds heal podcast sponsored by the ohm shop and spa you can keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio, and you can listen to all previous podcasts as well as music meditations on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned. <laughs>